Remember those words about God's love that never fails, never gives up, never runs out on us. Remember those as we come and look at a passage from God's word now. So we're going to look this morning at a story that Jesus told. And the people that he was speaking to when he told his stories were, were basically farm laborers, peasants, manual workers, craftsmen in ancient Palestine in the Middle East. These were people for whom home was a simple place and the center of their world. And when Jesus wanted to speak to these people and to explain to them, to help them understand something about God, to begin to see God in a different way to how they had perhaps seen him before, Jesus used stories because stories are a great way um, of getting a point across in a way that engages people's imagination. And the stories that Jesus told were rooted in the everyday lives of his listeners, of those people that he was talking to. He used situations that they could understand and relate to. So to these farm laborers, he told stories about seeds and crops and sheep because that was their world. The story that we're going to look at today, which is one of his most well-known ones, is about a family a family with characteristics that I think we can probably all recognize. So we're going to read now from Luke chapter 15. It's going to be up on the screen for you. Luke chapter 15, beginning to read at verse 11. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he got up and went home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost 
But now he is found. And they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was out in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and would not go in. His father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you. And never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, My dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Let's pray. Lord, you are an amazing God, and we want to reflect you. We want to be more like you and to grow in character so we are more like you. We want to serve you, and we want to love you. And Lord, we know that our love for you is not the same as your love for us. But Lord, we want to grow it so that it's more like that. So will you come and speak to us this morning through your word of the limitlessness and uncontainableness of your love for each one of us. Holy Spirit, come and be at work in each one of us this morning. Come and speak to our hearts, we pray. Amen. So here Jesus tells a story about an ordinary kind of family to tell the people and us something about themselves and something about the nature of God. So there's a boy who goes to his father and he says, Dad, you know what? I'm bored with living here out in the country. You're too strict with me, and you make me work quite hard, and you know what? I've had it with that. It's boring. Not going to do that anymore. I think you should just give me my inheritance now, and I'm going to head up to the big city because that's where I want to be. So he's heard about it, this big city. The bright lights, all the fun, and the good things that are there. Maybe he's heard about it from friends who've been there. Maybe he's glimpsed it himself on visits. He's going to leave for what Jesus in this story calls a distant land. And the distant land is a place that exists, first of all, in our hearts. We see something else over there, a different kind of life that seems so much better than our present life. And we get fixated on that, and we start to yearn for it. And the thing that we yearn for most of all is that whisper of freedom. There's freedom over there in that other place, that other life. Freedom from all the restrictions and limitations that are on me here. Freedom to be myself, 
freedom to enjoy myself, not have to bother with all this tiresome stuff that bogs me down over here. Freedom from the boring bits. I'll be much happier over there, wherever there is. It's that siren call to a life where I'll be free to do what I want and to be who I want. Everything will be so much better. The distant land for all of us is a place that exists in our minds. And we get sucked into the illusion that it will offer us the freedom and the kind of life that we want. There is that streak in every one of us, all of us. Even those who've been coming to church our whole lives. No one is exempt from this. That's why this story speaks to all of us. We all have this determination to do it my way. A striving for independence. This is what I want and I'm going to go out there and get it. I'll make it happen my way. It's independence from God, ultimately. That's what that is. The son thinks, well, in the distant land, I won't have to submit to anyone's authority, not even God's. I won't have to ask permission. I can do what I want. I won't have to be in by my curfew time. I can party all night if I want to. I just need to be free. We want to control our own lives, independent of God's authority. I know how to make my life work. I know what's best. I can do this. I think we've all been that prodigal person, each in our own way. And we've all been determined to go our own way. And we've all made mistakes on that way. So let's not kid ourselves that there's anyone here today who this doesn't apply to, including me. The father does give the son what he asks for. We have no real parallel in our society for the level of insult that this request was. Give me my inheritance now because I can't be bothered to wait until you're dead. In fact, it would be much more convenient if you were dead because you're holding me up by still hanging around. Why does the father do it? Why does he give his son the money? He didn't have to. And he could probably see where it was going to end. Well, God allows us free will in our lives. He allows us to make our own choices. He doesn't lock us in our bedroom to stop us going out in case we get into trouble. That's not how it works. Sometimes he will give us what we ask for. He'll give us that thing that we want, even when ultimately it won't do us any good. And that's not because he's unkind. It's because actually it's the only way we can learn. The only way that we can learn that those whispered promises are false is by experiencing that for ourselves. There's that whisper in your ear that it's greener on the other side of the fence. Everything is better over there. All the things you feel you've been denied and that you're missing out on, they'll be freely available over there. It's all there for me. And maybe it is. 
The son found that. He had a great time. He did have a great life. Everything he wanted for a time. But somehow, and he probably didn't quite understand how, somehow it all got off track and went wrong. Money ran out. That wasn't supposed to happen. The thing that had made the whole thing worthwhile wasn't there anymore. Well, how can that be? How did that happen? And the friends and all the additional things that made it so enjoyable, well, once the money was gone, well, they all went as well. And then right at the same time, now there's an economic crisis. There's a famine in the land, food shortages. And with all his money gone, he's got no chance. He's reduced to absolute poverty. And he's become a homeless person with no job, no prospects, and no one wants to know him. He manages to find a zero-hours contract looking after pigs, which is about the lowest job you could find in that society. And he's so hungry he has to eat the pig's food to stay alive. He must have thought to himself, how can this be? How has this happened? It was all going so well. This wasn't in my plan. This isn't where I was supposed to end up. Does any of that sound familiar? It's always a mental contortion for us when we realize that the things we thought we wanted don't actually deliver the happiness and fulfillment that they promised. Or if they do at first, it doesn't last for long. It's hard. And now he's on his knees, quite literally, he's face down in the mud and the dirt. He's at rock bottom. For him, that's a physical reality. For us, it may be a mental or emotional reality that we reach. His desire had been all about independence and freedom. That's what he chose. He stepped out and chose independence and freedom from all the things that were restricting him. Don't want to be bound by those things anymore. But somehow, and he doesn't really understand yet how it's come to this, somehow he's ended up with no freedom at all. The money is gone. The friends are gone. His freedom and independence is all gone. And he's more helpless and needy now than he ever was before. In the end, it's a heart problem that we have. We want fulfillment in our lives. We want love. But we focus on the wrong things. Where our mind goes is that it's our circumstances that are the problem. It's our circumstances that are restricting us and getting in the way. And so we set out to fix our circumstances and make a better life for ourselves that's free of those perceived restrictions on us. In our hearts, we're actually looking for peace, fulfillment, wholeness, and love. That's our deepest heart's desire. But we look for it in the wrong places. The whisper in our ear says, it's over here. And so we go over there to that life over there that from what we can see offers us those things our heart is wanting. 
but they're hollow, as we all discover in the end. And it puzzles us, but somehow those things and that life turns out not to deliver what it promised. And we find ourselves unfulfilled again, empty, on our knees in the dirt, wondering how on earth we got here. That peace and fulfillment and wholeness that is our deepest longing can't be found in any of the things of life. It can't be found anywhere except in God. But we pretty much all have to learn that the hard way. And we all make the mistake, each of us in our own way, of looking for those things in other places, listening to the wrong voices, believing false promises. And all of us in our own way find ourselves at some point facing a difficult truth. The son has had everything he yearned for, but somehow he's found himself with nothing. One day out in the fields with the pigs in his lowest place, as he turns over in his mind again all that's happened to him, he realizes something. And a light bulb goes on in his mind, and he starts to see this. He hasn't seen it before. Instead of going round and round the same loop of how awful his life is, suddenly now his mind starts seeing some different things. He realizes that he got it wrong. And he has a choice now that he's realized that. He could stick with his independence and try to sort things out for himself his own way because we love to be independent and we don't want to give in. He could stay with his pigs but be really determined to sort his life out. How do you think that's going to go? Or he could go home. He could go back to the father that he turned his back on and say, I got it wrong. I'm so sorry. Pride so often gets in our way. The story doesn't tell us if he wrestled with his pride, but I wonder if he did. I wonder if he spent a few minutes or a few hours or a few days saying, well, I can't go back. I'm not doing that. Anything but that. I can't admit to them that I failed. I can't face my father and I certainly can't face my brother and let them see that I was wrong. I wonder how that would have gone for him. I wonder how long he spent saying those kinds of things to himself. And I wonder how long you've spent saying those things to yourself. For some of us, even when we realize our need, our pride still resists. And there's a barrier that is stopping us from doing what we need to do. The story just says, when he came to his senses. So finally, he stopped going round those self-destructive loops and allowed himself to start to think differently. He's allowed some different thoughts in. And he realizes that the problem he had was not with his family or with the rules at home. 
And the problem he's got now is not about how awful life has been to him. The problem he's got now is the same problem he's had all along. And it's the same problem that we all have at times. It's a problem in his perception of God. When we get our perspective of God straightened out, we'll find we have a new perspective on some other things in our lives as well. Something broke through to the sun which hadn't broken through before. I just need to go home. It can take us surprisingly long to realize that. That we can go home. That it's okay. And his father is watching for him. And we need to notice here that Jesus is painting a picture of God. He's telling this story to illustrate a spiritual truth about God. This is a picture of God watching for us the whole time. He hasn't moved. Wherever we've been, whatever we've been doing, the son removed himself. But the father hasn't gone away. God hasn't moved. He's still there, just where he always was. And he's never given up on his son. He sees him coming down the road. And the son is filled with shame that he's made such a mess of everything. And it's all gone wrong. He's covered with dirt dressed in rags. He's not presentable. He's got nothing to offer. But the father doesn't want anything from him. He just wants him to come home. He sees him when he's still far away, when he's still in the distance. He's still on his way down the road. And does the father stand at the gatepost, arms folded, waiting for the son to come all the way up the road and fall at his feet and cringe? Has the father got a lecture ready, at the very least a stern talking to, some choice words, perhaps, that he's been stewing on for some time? No. He runs the father runs towards his son. In that society, a father would never run. It was undignified. It was not fitting to his position as head of the family. But this father throws convention to the wind, all the social rules to the wind, all the expectations that anyone might have. He doesn't care. He runs to meet his son who has finally turned round and is on his way back. The running of the father is absolutely as outrageous as what the son did at the beginning of the story when he demanded his inheritance before his father had even died. People would have been horrified at that. It was utterly beyond what any normal, decent son would do. And it would have shamed his father. But the running of the father 
at the end of the story is absolutely just as rule-breaking, convention-breaking, eye-poppingly outrageous as the son had been. By running in the way that he does, running in complete abandonment, the father is saying, I am not that kind of father. I won't be constrained by the expectations of polite society that, that others place around me about the kind of father they think I should be. I will be the kind of father that I choose to be. And I've been longing for my child who went off. And I choose to run. And so he runs for you. And he runs for me. Robes flying, flip-flops fallen off, gasping for breath. He doesn't care what anyone else thinks. He just wants to wrap you in his arms and hold you. Nothing's going to get in his way. And he doesn't wait for his son to come all the way up to him. He runs and he meets him on the road. No earthly father would behave like this. And that's the point, really. It's telling us that God is not like that, that he's not governed by the rules or expectations that we might have. He will not distribute his love and his grace and his forgiveness according to how we think it should be. His forgiveness and his grace are free and unlimited. And they pour down on us like we're standing under a waterfall. He doesn't just offer us a cup of water. He gives us the full waterfall. It's outrageous, really. To our human minds, it really shouldn't be like this. And the older brother illustrates that really well for us. The older brother in this story stands for those people who are doing all they can to live right in God's eyes, but actually they've forgotten. They've forgotten the point. And that also is all of us at times. We think he's wrong to fling his grace and forgiveness around so outrageously. We just can't accept it. It's not right it can't be right. It's unreasonable. The older brother gets angry and refuses to come in to the party. But the father still loves him. And he comes out to find him too. I really like that. He doesn't just leave him to stew. He loves this son as well. And he reminds his son lovingly that this is the kind of father that I am. My rules, not yours. My grace, not yours. That grace is for all of us. But to be able to receive it, we have to accept it for what it is. Unconditional. Unconventional unreasonable, unlimited. 
So which bit of this story is for you this morning? Where are you this morning? Are you still in your distant land? Or are you with the pigs beginning to realize something that's always been true? Or are you on that long road on your way back home? At the beginning of Luke chapter 15, just before the bit we read, the religious leaders are criticizing Jesus. And they're saying, this man eats with sinners. And they think that's a bad thing. But Luke writes it down and records it for us because he knows that that's a good thing. It's the heart of everything we believe. Jesus sits down and eats with sinners. He's interested in sinners. In fact, actually, he's only interested in sinners because that's all of us. All of us who've gone our own way, messed up, and who need to come home. On the screen now uh, will be two paintings by an artist called Charlie Mackesy. Charlie Mackesy was commissioned by Holy Trinity Brompton, um, the creators of the Alpha Course, to come up with an image to convey the heart of God in the story, this story, of the son who comes home. And there are two pictures here, because one is the prodigal son, and the other is the prodigal daughter. And these pictures remind us that every one of us here is held by our Father's grace, just like that picture. I just want to leave those up for a minute, just for you to continue to look at while the band is going to start to play, and just let God speak to your heart through these pictures and through the story that we've heard.